Okay, so I've got um, a good amount of notes. Yeah, I got my notes here too. I'm organized. I got the Lucky um, Podcast pencil. Lucky Podcast pencil. Lucky, lucky Podcast, podcast water. Mu- Give me a sip. I there you go. Sip. I got my Lucky Podcast hat. Excellent. Yep, I think we're good to go. Uh, um, yeah, I was yeah. wanted to bounce Take an idea sip. off you. Um, All right. Uh, how do you feel about just giving away the money? Just giving free money out. My hard-earned money, the money that I work for every day, the money that I... My blood, sweat, and tears goes into earning? Is that money? That That's the money you talk about? You want to give it away to our listeners? Yeah, just give it away. Yes! Excellent! Let's do it! Okay. Well, what, what, would you think I'd be against it? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to raffle off some movie tickets. Yeah, uh, let's do it. $25 gift card to the theater of your choice. How are we going to choose who wins this uh, raffle? Well, you have three ways to enter the raffle. First of all, you have to send an email to loudontheset at gmail.com. Give us a, a name you want to call yourself, a name that we're going to put in a hat, shake around, and uh, draw out of later. But there's three ways to enter. You can use one of these methods. You could use two, or you could use all three. Every one you choose is another of your name that goes into the hat. Oh, man. It's a little added incentive here. So send us an email with your contact info, and then the three ways that you can enter are, you can say in your first email that you'd like to be on the mailing list. Simple as that. Hop on the mailing list. Your name goes in the hat. Number two, subscribe on YouTube and leave a comment on this video. It can be a comment about anything. Be a comment about whatever you like. So leave a comment, subscribe. And then lastly, subscribe on iTunes and give us a rating. Any rating you'd like. I like that. Yeah, you know, we'd prefer it was good, but be honest. (laughs) We want constructive feedback. So subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating, and that'll be a... uh, That'll be another way you can enter. So those three again, be on the mailing list, subscribe on YouTube, and leave a comment on this video. And then lastly, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a nice rating. If Kyle, if a listener does all three, they're entered into the raffle how many times? Three times. That's right. More ways to win. So again, $25, theater of your choice. Send us an email, give us your name, some contact info, and then do one of those three options or as many as you'd like. Be in the raffle. Do it. Ready for the episode? I think so. Let's kick it off right here, right now. You are listening to Loud on the Set with Kyle and James. A level-headed movie critic meets a loud-mouthed movie cynic. And action! Welcome back to the show. My name is Kyle. This is James. And today, James, what are we doing? Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Kyle, we're doing Malcolm X. Interesting. Why? Why are we doing Malcolm X? Well, if I look at my watch, it says it's February. February is Black History Month, my Loud on the Set listeners. And we're going to break away from comedy today a little bit, Kyle. I yeah. think this might be a joke light episode because we're celebrating Black History Month. Absolutely. And we're going to review one of my if not top five, definitely top ten movies, Kyle, of all time. Excellent. I own this movie. Hey, let's do a quick joke. Three dollar bootleg from Ecuador because it's because it's a two. It's a. T- <laughs> we'll get serious in a second, folks. It's a two disc because it's such a it's a two hundred and two minute long movie. Right. Uh, made in nineteen ninety two, um, but it's a it's a long masterpiece. So it cost me three dollars. Three dollars. Um, but absolutely, Kyle. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not even kidding, and I'm not pandering because of the month or whatever. It absolutely is. I can quote this movie endlessly like most morons can quote 
the Anchorman or some stupid <laughs> shit. All right, Malcolm X, Kyle, let's do it. Malcolm X. So yeah, this is. Um, I, I saw it a long time ago. I rewatched it for um, our podcast here, obviously, mm-hmm. and it is totally meriting to be in a top ten list. Um, this is a fantastic film. It absolutely belongs to Denzel. Um, and the whole team that put it together. Um, his performance is amazing. He was nominated for the Academy Award, of course, for Best Leading Actor. However... In a huge travesty, Kyle. Yep, lost it to Al Pacino in Scent, Scent of, of a, a Woman. Woman. Unbelievable. Very, very controversial. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I've seen both those movies. Mm-hmm. I think Al Pacino did a good job, but yes. this was uh, a, an amazing snub. Denzel should have won this outright. Huge. And Kyle... Another reason why we're choosing Malcolm X, well, it's not a reason, but how timely, because now we're fully in Oscar season, right? and what is the talk surrounding the Oscars this year? Mm. Second consecutive year, nothing but all white the, people all, all nominated for the most unbelievable. And, and, and we're so we, not without the irony of understanding that we are two white males on a podcast talking about hey, these issues. True. But this is exposure and appreciation, and uh, and it's... It, we. We conspire to this. This is uh, we agree with these themes and these ideas, and this is important stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, so you take us on a on a journey here. You've seen this a ton of times. So, okay. Yeah. So lead us through our conversation about Malcolm X. Well, first couple of things I wanted to mention is that in 2010, Malcolm X, directed by Spike Lee, of mm-hmm. course, uh, was put into the United States National Film Registry in the Library of Congress. Yep. Meaning that it's culturally and Historically relevant. relevant. Um, Spike Lee has multiple films in that registry. He does. Unbelievable. Um, it isn't to me, Kyle. Malcolm X is an epic autobiographical masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 202 minutes, doesn't feel uh, that long at all. Uh, it is brilliant. It is the brilliant telling of one man's journey, if you will, his multiple, multiple transformations in yes. life, and a really wonderful adaptation of, of course, the book, the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. If you haven't read it, go read it. I've read the book uh, almost as many times as I've seen the movie, Kyle. Wow. I'm not even joking. Excellent. Yeah. Not messing around. Very good. Um, yeah. Uh, everything about it. He His transformation from being a country boy, mm-hmm. born in Michigan, close to, to, <laughs> close to mine, close to you, uh, to becoming a city slicker, to a petty criminal, then a religious convert in prison, mm-hmm. and then a, a nationally, internationally recognized leader, but then a humanitarian because he, of course, switches allegiances mm-hmm. and ultimately a hero and a martyr. Yep. Take it away, Kyle. It's it's pretty amazing, and one of the things, uh, I'll take it from a filmmaking aspect here. You've, yeah. you've gone with the historical background on mm-hmm. Malcolm X a little bit. Um, it, f- from the filmmaking standpoint, Giving somebody as talented as Denzel Washington the opportunity to demonstrate that range of acting prowess was unbelievable to see because it it took incredible nuance at every stage during that development. And you can absolutely see it in his eyes, in his mannerisms, in his conviction, in how he speaks. It's unbelievable 
the amount of detail that goes into his performance. So they obviously did their homework, of course, since it was so important. And I'd also like to point out that this was um, another Malcolm X was made in the 70s, mm-hmm. I believe, as well. I don't think it's as widely recognized no. as this film, but this is a topic people have thought that this was important ever since this book came out and became uh, one of the most important uh, nonfiction books of all time. So. Um, very important story handled with extreme care by the filmmakers. Um, nothing funny going on. It's very straight ahead filmmaking. It's putting actors on screen and letting them tell a human story uh, through their transformations themselves. So Absolutely. really brilliant. Kyle, can I piggyback yes. on Denzel comments? Piggy indeed. Denzel's performance to me in this movie is so memorable and so powerful mm-hmm. that in my studies of Malcolm X and my readings and my listening to speeches and my pulling of quotes from, from various sources, I oftentimes forget if Malcolm said it or if Denzel said it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. Um, I confuse the quotes because what Spike Lee did was he sampled some of Malcolm's most famous speeches, such as the Battle of the Bullet, mm-hmm. and he would infuse powerful lines from those speeches and put them yeah, sort of out of context into other speeches. Like right. he's at a rally on a street in front of Harlem. Well, he technically didn't say such and such line in Harlem. He said it in Detroit and mm-hmm. things like that. But, oh, you wouldn't know it from watching the movie. And I often confuse, was that something that, that, that Denzel's character said or... or is that something I, I confuse the two? Yeah. If that's not the hallmark of a wonderful wonderful performance where you can't tell the difference between the fictional version or the dramatization mm-hmm. version right. and the real thing, oh I don't know what it is. And now since you mentioned the care of the gesturing, um, the way Denzel totally nailed even the way Malcolm would rest his hand on his face, right, right with the index finger and whatnot, mm-hmm. every scene of his speeches is awesome and i'm using that term to mean like it leaves you in awe not hey awesome right absolutely um if you look at his face like you just said he denzel is delivering the speeches mm-hmm. and there are magnificent examples of of one shots where the camera doesn't cut away right where he's delivering and he's delivering and he's gesturing and the crowd is feeding off of it and it's going back and forth everything about it the way the camera pans over him the sound, right? This, mm-hmm. oh, everything is so brilliant, Kyle. It is. I watch them over and over and over again because the cinematography, everything about them is so powerful. Yeah, no? absolutely. Um, and Oof. what's more being said with that, you know what kind of film you're in for mm-hmm. from the second that it begins. Uh, the Just the minute that it starts, the opening speech and the, the filmmaking that goes on. So if you just get the... Straight ahead image of the flag, you hear Malcolm quotes start to deliver the speech, and then intercut, you get the scenes of the probably most famous um, police beating of all time. Mm -hmm. Intercut with then the flag burning away with this uh, scene being interspliced into um, finally the the burning remnants of the X flag remaining on the screen. And if that doesn't set you up for what this film is going to be, how powerful, controversial, out there, intense. Um, I don't know what could have said it much better than uh, than that. Kyle, I'm extremely delighted that on your note, that you just said all that stuff, and I see opening <laughs> speech on your notes because I put that same exact thing. How could you not, right? How could you not? The slow trumpet playing in the background, uh-huh. Denzel's words. Uh, Spike Lee lets you know that he's not messing around right away. And Spike Lee does things as a filmmaker that 
Uh, he takes chances. He does. You, I think you'll agree with he me here. He pokes the proverbial bear, as it were. Yes. Over and um, over. Splicing in footage, modern-day footage of Rodney King's mm-hmm. uh, beatdown, you know, fuck. Um, that's pretty risky. It is. In a historical movie. Like, in a, a fusing burning in that, the flag Burning on the flag on screen is... Pretty risky. While things like, I charged the white man with being the greatest kidnapper, mm-hmm. swine eater, murderer, kid... Like, uh, unbelievable. It is one of the most powerful opening sequences of any movie I've ever seen. Later on in the movie, Spike Lee takes other chances. The musical number in the movie mm-hmm. is a big show, show right? Mm-hmm. That's great. He takes chances with um, the moving camera while Denzel is walking still on the sidewalk mm-hmm. towards his own death. Right. Um, the rotating camera shot of the street preachers all on their ladders mm-hmm. and their little pedestals. Spike Lee is not afraid to try things, right? Not at all. And, oh, I, I love it. And it mostly works. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can't think of an instance where it doesn't work in this movie. Um, I can't. I, I think he. I think all of his chances work well. What I'm you glad think? you highlighted the uh, one of that final scene where he's basically. Um, obviously, if you don't know the history behind this film, Malcolm X was assassinated yeah. um, after uh, his um, power was just. I guess becoming so great that people were just afraid of him at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just becoming too revolutionary. Too many truths were being spoken, and people got afraid um, and did this horrible thing. But showing him basically accepting the fact that he's going to continue fighting his good fight for himself. He's not going to be afraid of people making these threats. And he achieves kind of that enlightenment. And how mm-hmm. does Spike Lee show that so nuanced in the film? Oof. Is on a, a tracking shot with Denzel basically levitating with the camera and floating down the sidewalk. Um, and it's it, the brilliant nuances like that that really create all the powerful imagery, all the powerful ideas that are historical and true being uh, represented and folding it into this really intense narrative. So I, I loved that little bit of filmmaking. I'm glad you... Wow, we're... We're, we're clicking here. Clicking we're on all cylinders so far. Unbelievable. Another scene to me, Kyle, that it's not so risky from a filmmaker's perspective, but again, it introduces that blending of actual historical footage with what's happening to the, the character in the movie at the time uh-huh. is the scene where Malcolm Denzel is at home watching on his sofa footage of black people being brutalized all over the country, fire hoses, dogs, yeah. um exchanging punches in the middle of the street, women being treated badly. It cuts between the still shot of Denzel just fixated on the TV, staring straight ahead, Uh and archival footage back and forth as, once again, trumpeted music plays in the background, and it's it's escalating to this this anger is building up. It is a beautiful buildup of his emotions and... And the, how how intense he has to become to match what's the reality of the situation, no? Absolutely. Do you remember the scene I'm talking I about? I do, absolutely. Crazy. Unbelievable. I think that um, one of the things that I took away from this as a narrative, so they took, obviously, for them, this book wasn't enough. They, they wanted to do something different with it, or they wouldn't have made a movie. So whether that just meant bringing it to the forefront again, um, putting star power behind it and making it relevant, However they wanted to do it, um, they wanted to say something in making a movie. And the main things that I took away from that were the power of words 
which yes. you you get from the writing. You know, you get from the book. But then on top of it, with the power of words, you get the power of images. And I think one of the things that's really highlighted exactly like what you just said when he's looking at the images on the screen, Spike Lee is showing you images throughout the whole thing. Um, and there's a really famous life photograph of Malcolm where yes. were you going to say that as well? Yep, where absolutely. He's, uh, he's looking through the window with the rifle mm -hmm. and um, just representing, you know, how all of the, Malcolm was giving these speeches. He was telling everybody the, these words, and they were powerful enough that they changed the world at that point. And Spike Lee is trying to represent that again through these images, trying to show that those things were really relevant. Maybe some of them were you know, some of this gets lost in time as more historical things happen, yeah. as more trouble comes into the world, and bringing this back and showing that that's relevant in a way that represents both the power of words that you get from a film and a fantastic screenplay adaption, and also the power of images and how then you can enhance that even further with the moving images and the pictures. Spike Lee wouldn't be a filmmaker if he didn't feel like that was a great way to speak his mind and share what he thought was relevant. You know, Kyle on Loudness said he talks a lot about how directors need to take care, right? Kyle uses that word a lot. Care. Right? <laughs> There's a lot of care. That goes, any good movie we reviewed, Kyle says, a lot of care went into every little scene, whether we're talking about Rocky or whatever, the care of the little details. Well, the scene that Kyle just pointed out where Malcolm is standing with his rifle, uh -huh. peering out the window, um, is in fact a an exact Recre uh, replication uh -huh. of a famous photograph from Life magazine. And it's unbelievable you wrote it down because I have it right here too. <laughs> um, and that shows the care. Now, it may seem obvious and it may seem easy that with a, a man such as Malcolm X and his rich history, that a ton of research and a ton of, of picking out some of the most powerful images, words, moments would have to be included in certain movies. Right. But then you have to handle it a certain way, too. Absolutely. Right? So there you go. There's the care, right? There it is. Mm -hmm. So for, for say, you've read the book a yep. lot. Like you said, you've, you've seen this movie a lot. So mm -hmm. for those of us unfamiliar with the revolutionary side of Malcolm X, take us on a little journey um, really quick through... His beliefs, what he wanted to bring to the world, and how he changed along those steps from his um, criminal stage to his um, enlightened uh, religious conversion to where he ends up at the end. Okay, sure. I'm going to try my best, right? Yes. Uh, with apologies to all the historians and people who do it way better than I do. <laughs> but here we go. Um, again, started out country boy, grew up in Michigan, and was moved around a lot. Um his father was a Garveyite, so he was exposed to radical, well, not radical, I don't want to use that word, but uh, strong-willed and strong-opinionated and passionate um, black thinking right off the bat. You know, mm -hmm. Garveyites believed in, in going back to Africa, right? Um, and his mother was of West Indian descent. Dad was killed by bigots. Uh, mother was declared insane after a while, and so he bounced around, bounced around, bounced around, gets involved in petty crime, gets locked up for seven years, while he's in jail, he gets exposed to the Nation of Islam, uh -huh. right? What the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had been preaching in the United States, which, let's be honest here, it's a, it's a morphed or a, an oddly shaped version of Islam, uh -huh. right? Uh, Elijah Muhammad and his ilk took a religion from that hemisphere of the earth, the, the East, and brought uh -huh. it over to the United States. 
morphed it into this, um, you know, this this sort of odd. I have really no kind way of describing it because I'm still an atheist at heart, Kyle. I mean, like, really. <laughs> uh, but a lot of weird beliefs, but right. uh, but also a lot of nationalism, a lot of a lot of um, self-determination and whatnot. And so Malcolm takes on his teachings fully. He becomes a full disciple. And you can hear that yeah. in his speeches as he presents, and you can see the iconography, how much he holds this um, man up on a pedestal. The Honorable oh, yeah. Elijah Muhammad mm-hmm. would uh, tell us, or it pre- presents almost all of his speeches, almost yep. every, not even the speech, but the line of text he's going to say, the sentence, mm-hmm. almost always starts if it's going to be talking about his religion with that statement. So he holds this man in the highest regard Absolutely. at this point. And it shows the dangers of that as well as things go yeah. on. All right, so we have his first transformation from, let's just call it, you know, street criminal, whatever, to uh, a prominent member of the Nation of Islam, right. right? And he's involved with the Nation of Islam. He quickly rises in their ranks and he becomes their number one minister and he's traveling all over the United States opening uh, mosques left and right and, mm-hmm. and really a superstar in the whole movement. And then there are a couple of noteworthy developments that occur. He, of course, with the famous chickens coming home to roost quote surrounding right. Kennedy's assassination, puts him in the doghouse when it comes to the Nation of Islam. But then he discovers some... Um, some corruption mm-hmm. from Elijah Muhammad and his Man cronies. Is corrupt. <laughs> yeah, um, and the Nation of Islam. And because Malcolm really bought into the whole transformation into mm-hmm. the Nation of Islam and led a clean, sober, drug-free, uh, f- you know, faithful life, when he discovers that there are inconsistencies between the teachings and the practice, it devastates him. Right. And he turns whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And then he actually he he does the Hajj and he travels to Mecca and. He meets and interacts with Muslims of all different backgrounds, of all shapes and sizes and colors when he's over there. And he becomes convinced that he was taught really a a soiled version of this religion. So now we have his second conversion. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the few films that was so important that it was actually allowed to actually go over and film there, which is quite amazing. Quite amazing indeed, yes. Good movie. Good movie trivia right there. (laughs) Um, But of course, he comes back and... He is still a Muslim. He's still, in many of his speeches, he makes that very clear. I am a Muslim. My religion is Islam. I could quote him. You have no idea. Um, But he takes on the teachings of black nationalism, his social, political, and economical philosophy. I'm almost directly quoting him at this point from his real speeches, is black nationalism. And he is separated from the nation of Islam, and that earns him a lot of enemies. Uh, He opens his own mosque in New York City called Muslim Mosque Incorporated. Um, but the battle lines have been drawn, threats were made, and, you know, spoiler alert, haha, right? We try to infuse a little bit of humor here on this serious mm-hmm. topic, but it cost him his life. Right. And the, you know, there's a lot of controversy over who actually pulled it off. Uh, we, we won't get into that here, right? Yeah. Right. Oof, tough yes. topic. Politics, but you see, but you see those, that's why Malcolm X to me is one of my personal heroes. Uh, a, ter- a twice converted, twice reformed man. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people realize any major conversion at any point in their life, let alone twice before you turn 40? Right. Oof. It's it. Whether you believe these things or not, mm-hmm. I believe is truly irrelevant to seeing how great of a person he was. In By the end of his time, all he wanted was for the betterment of his people. Yes. And he spoke to that with such conviction and through these transformations 
that it was impossible not to see how devoted he was to that and how much of a leader he was trying to bring his cause to the forefront of society. And not without a problem, you know, not without a reason for that. When you look back at the historical nature of where he came from, like you were saying, how he was brought up um, living in Harlem and in lots of dangerous cities and basically in the ghettos of these areas because that was the only place that they could go. And even the other um, African-Americans that he came into contact with throughout his upbringing, they were content with the status quo. I thought this was really interesting. At lots of point in, points in time, he's talking to um, somebody that he works with or somebody that he's friends with, and they say something uh, to the effect of, that's one of the good white men or mm-hmm. something like that. Yep, yep, yep. And he's not satisfied with that. And you can see that's a brilliant piece of acting is where you see Malcolm Denzel dealing with uh, having to like cater to the white people um, that are in his life. So serving them with a smile on his face and, and treating them with respect, air quotes there again, mm-hmm. and, and having to go through that. But the whole time you're looking at the exploitation of the black community. You're seeing them, uh, you're seeing generally the white population come to their clubs to dance where they have the new music that's there and everybody loves that. Joe Lewis becomes a national hero for being the heavyweight champion. And then the radio announcers who were implied to be white men talk about how he's a national hero and how he's one of the greatest Americans and and all of this. And it's the complete exploitation of that entire culture Mm -hmm. while they have to live in the sewers and be, as he mentioned, all of the drugs and and the heartbreak in their community as they're exploited. And there's no way out for them at that point. So he makes these transformations. He tries to give people that out. And I think that's where the hero comes out. That's where the leader in Malcolm X shows up. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's spectacular. And that's why, for, another, for many reasons, he, he is one of my heroes. That, um, a little bit of insight into like, the whole clean living thing. Like, uh-huh. um, once you make a decision based on a set of principles, morals, ethics, and in Malcolm's case, a lot of times it was religiously based, to stick with it. Right. To stick with it unflinchingly. Uh-huh. That's kind of the person I am. I'm sure you've picked up on that some, in some one way or another in this podcast <laughs> or whatever, or in our friendship. But man, oh man, powerful stuff. Now, Kyle, there's one thing I want to mention. Yes. Before we get to our surprise of today's podcast. Oh, absolutely. We have a surprise. Yes. And that is, um, since we did a lot of talking about um, pretty much everything, a uh, quick, since we'll be a, you know, we like to consider ourselves a balanced podcast, anything you disliked about the podcast? I have, I mean, not the podcast. There's nothing we dislike about the podcast. Um, whew, break attention. Is there anything you disliked about the movie? I have one little thing. I'll let you go first. You, no, you lead us oh, first. Okay, fine. If you have something off the top of your head. The only thing I disliked about this movie, Spike, if you're listening, is that I felt like the ending was a bit rushed, actually. Hmm. Um, he, he shows up to the Autobahn ballroom, and his assassins are there. And after a couple of words, the, the melee ensues, and he's killed. And then they show footage of him being carted away, and they show people mourning rather quickly, but then they almost immediately cut to sort of tribute style, uh-huh. you know, with people in Soweto, I think I pronounced that incorrectly, but whatever, in South Africa, mixed uh-huh. in with 
uh, footage of people in New York and Harlem and you know modern day, and I'm like, well, dang, I, I don't, I don't think that the end was treated well. That's my only beef. Kyle, what do you got? Yeah, I, I A can rushed ending. I yeah. can see um, where that is an issue, and I think at at the epic length at that point, it's almost like why not just take a few more minutes for any exposition that you wanted. Yeah. Um, I see <clears throat> where he wanted to go with using going right into archival footage after that because Denzel's journey acting was done at that point. We didn't need we didn't need somebody to dramatize any longer when that's the end of you know your actor's uh, picture is now he's he's dead at this point. So I see where they bring in the archival footage after that, but maybe perhaps an epilogue of lives affected, you know, maybe a, a few more a way to cool down um, a little bit after that. Maybe that's not what he was looking for. Maybe he was looking to keep you swept up in that emotion and really bring it home um, quickly. But we had the literal slow burn at the beginning that was presented in such a um, such an abrupt manner where they just brought you right in and shook you and made you get ready for what you're about to see. And right at the end, it was almost the same. He's assassinated, and they just shake you and make you feel it, and then the picture ends. So, wow. um, so it like that. it's <laughs> interesting, but it's you do always want to know more, you know, afterwards, and you want that that cool down and to to feel that afterwards. So, if anything really um, didn't work for me in the film, I think there were times with the. Um, near the beginning of the film, mostly, but there was there were parts with the timeline that were um, a little bit hard to follow. So the the editing of just choosing where a piece went, they almost went chronologically for the last like two thirds of the movie. So then for the beginning to be a lot of back and forth to young Malcolm to old Malcolm to young back and forth, they were bringing you in and out of time. Um, really quickly they tried to keep up with the narration over it but yeah. anytime you start editing a little bit frantically like that it makes it a little bit hard to follow um, so if anything just moving from that to the pretty much chronological rest of the film um, was my only difficulty in understanding it from a filmmaking aspect interesting um, everything else about it i thought was was amazing and like you said he took risks but when you watch it and you see the film it kind of doesn't really feel like there's too much risk being taken because of the subject matter mm -hmm. and how it's inherently risky. It's inherently charged with racial oppression and these people uh, just really fighting for their lives and Malcolm fighting for his life with the words that he could say. So, um, so yeah, I think that that was my only tiny uh, issue that I had with it. Otherwise, and... There were some points, like, for instance, the Russian roulette scene, mm -hmm. where I don't honestly know if that was in the book or not, um, or or if that was actually something that happened in his life. And there were a couple other moments where I understand they took a little bit of um, uh, liberty in how they were acting. For instance, I know that Malcolm's wife had said that they never argued about anything in their life. And I know there's a couple scenes where Denzel is being passionate and they're arguing a little bit, but... Um, I don't know. It's, yeah. For historical accuracy, you just don't want to make sure that you don't present anything that then could mislead anything after that. But I think that those points are so minor that uh, it 
it's really irrelevant in the grand scheme of everything that we just talked about up front here. Excellent. So overall, yes, yes, yes. getting the idea of who Malcolm was and what he stood for. Well, Kyle, did we give this a grade? Should we give it a grade? Yeah, I this mean, this is a I, retro review. I guess it is a retro review. So uh, I give it an A. I give it an A as well. Yeah, because I still don't know where that A plus is out there. But we'll, we'll any any we're... film in the top ten is is definitely getting an A. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, Kyle, we've come to the end of our movie review, but yes. now. I have for you, and we have for the listeners of Loud and the Set, a little surprise. In honor of Malcolm X and in celebration of Black History Month, I pulled some of my favorite Malcolm X quotes, and I have them right here to play for everybody. What do you think? Excellent. Let's do it. Let's let's let them roll. They're all about a minute or so in length each because I'm not going to play his whole speeches here. They're over an hour long most of the time. Um, But I'm going to play them. And then maybe we'll react to Absolutely. each one. Absolutely. So let's, let's begin it. with one that's called, that I like to call anyway, Who Taught You? Who taught you, please? Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. No, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask who yourself, who taught you to hate being what God gave you. you to love the hair that God gave you. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, uh, it it highlights everything that we we discussed earlier. It's it's you know the the oppression and the build up and the release from that. And again, we I'm not dismissing the irony of us talking about <laughs> this here right now. Um, but it's really powerful, and it is a shame that in society sometimes hate or anger is born out of other hate and anger and um and it's not something that i necessarily condone myself um but it how can you argue with the position that they're put in and the the feelings that come out of that it's they did want to love themselves but how can you love yourself when everybody is telling you that you're ugly and that they hate you it's it seems impossible. I wouldn't be strong enough. I don't know. Never I, been tested on that level. I love that quote, and I everything you just said is great. And it's it's so this could this could be delivered today, you know, like um, the commercials, the constant bombardment with messages that you're not pretty enough, that your hair needs to be a certain exactly. way, the standard of beauty. Again, look at what's happening in our Oscars, right? Uh-huh. Like, look what's happening in Hollywood. How even roles that are meant to be played by Asian people or by black people or by uh, Arab people. Gods of Egypt is coming uh-huh. out soon. It's got a Scottish guy in it, right? Like, <laughs> okay, so we, we don't want to spend too much time in each one because I got more quotes. Yes, to come. more. Ready Bring for the next on. one? Let's do it. This one is a quote from Malcolm that deals with progress. Somebody asked him, do you think progress is being made? Let's go to it. Let's do it. <laughs> you, feel, you feel, however, that uh, that we're making progress in, in this country? No, and no, no, no. Uh, I will never say that progress is being made. If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, 
there's no progress. Mm -hmm. You pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that the blow, that the blow made. And they haven't even begun to pull a knife out, much less try and pull, uh, heal the wound. You have, have you have they won't even admit the knife is there. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that one is it's such a, uh, uh, his dictionary um, exercise that he took <laughs> when he was yeah. in prison um, is such a brilliant example of the power of words. When uh, I can't remember who it was in prison that was telling him to, Learn the white man's words. Grow the beans. And he read the definition of white and black in the film. And again, I don't know if this actually happened in real life, but him going through and learning the words and then his mastery at speaking and at delivering these types of speeches. That's, I, I mean, those are our greatest writers in history, you know. He's one of them. He just Absolutely. speaking them. Now, Kyle, I know that you fancy yourself an excellent public speaker. I know you do. And it's true. <laughs> he is. He's spectacular. I also do as well. You should see me in front of a room. I would room. love to. Um, uh, without giving too much away, I do many lectures, Kyle. You do. Yeah. You do do many um, lectures. And I'm quite good at it. But if I could ever come close to his level, I would be ecstatic. Mm -hmm. That mastery, like you just said, unbelievable. Um, I would like to also point out that the, the analogy, of course, of sticking a knife in the back and only drawing it out so far is not progress, is applicable today as well. Like, we're, we're trying to close Guantanamo Bay, right? Uh -huh. This is recent news. Hey, let's talk recent news, right? Let's, let's, this is a serious podcast. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, like, just because you close one secret prison that's located on an island <laughs> and you replace it with another one on the mainland, you're not, that's not progress, Kyle. Uh -huh. Right? That's not progress. The detention of people without trial... Still exists. In other words, the knife is still in. Uh -huh. Just oh, all right. You know, fuck. How many <laughs> how many facts do people need to be given, or what needs to happen before change is effective? What needs to be happen before climate change is recognized by a large uh, subset of people around the world? You know, mostly yeah. in our country. It's it's crazy. Okay, we're gonna go to the next one now. This one I have titled "Political Chump." <laughs> and you will see why. Let's go to the clip. Let's do it. About now. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republican. In the Senate, there are 67 uh, Democrats. Only 33 are Republicans. The party that you backed controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you because you're a chump. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you're dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Kyle, what'd you wow. think? Wow, yeah. Oh, it's, is that something or what? Yeah, you know, we we do. We beat our heads against the wall trying to affect change, and we think that it comes from policies and from people being elected, but it's there's breakdowns in the system. Mm -hmm. The system is flawed. Well, it's interesting because a lot... Well, that one, the political chump one, is a snippet from... A speech I mentioned earlier, the ballot or the bullet, and um, even the next and last clip that I'll play is from that as well. He goes on to say that what we need is self-help, self-help programs. We need to 
to learn how to open our own businesses and control the economics of our neighborhoods and provide jobs mm-hmm. for ourselves. And yeah, good stuff. Yeah. A political chump. I, I don't <laughs> even know how many times I have to, I say this all the time when it comes to election season, like what do, what does such and such party fill in the blank, whatever, mm-hmm. right? What do they have to do to lose your vote? You know, like, good God, yeah. good God. Like, oof. Anyway. The All right, lesser Kyle. of two evils has never been more prevalent <laughs> than in politics, usually. Yeah, it's a sad state. <clears throat> okay, last one, Kyle, is... That's why we watch movies. Yeah, I, I, I've said <laughs> Not it be- that there's any politics in filmmaking at all. I, I've said it before on Loud on the Set. This this is a little taste of what you get. This is our escapism. Yeah, this is, this is a taste of what you'd have if Loud on the Set was... Um, Politics week oh, with geez. Kyle and James instead, right? Oh, we'd get through three episodes and we'd be uh, <laughs> we'd be just out in a field yelling mom, <laughs> just spinning around. All right, here we go. <laughs> the last one is um, it deserves no introduction, Kyle. Excellent. I'm not going to give it a title. Right. Most people should recognize it. Uh, if you don't, take a listen. Take all of us for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag in the same boat. We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation, all of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you live in the 20th century, 1964, and you walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed us. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. That is, of course, singing or swinging. Singing or swinging. swinging. Oh, man. I love that quote. It's so hard. (laughs) I'm conflicted personally very much with what to do with the state of the world Mm -hmm. when all you feel like you can do is what you have said, I think, multiple times on this podcast. Vote with our dollars Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and vote to vote for people. It seems like those are the only civilized options that people have lots of the time. And and we're in no place ourselves where um where we are we have i don't believe you or i have any reason to uh become angry right now about you know something that's on any scale as to what's happened historically yeah um and it's just hard to know you know what can you do in those situations and Malcolm X, who couldn't see eye to eye with Martin Luther King, both had ideas about how to make these situations better. And, and you know, we're still dealing with lots of it. There's still rampant racism in all sorts of places. It's never been more prevalent than in sports and in music and arts. People uh, are always um, feeling oppressed in these types of environments. So, ah. Well, I love that quote, Kyle, because... Um, you know, you do too much singing, right? Anytime uh-huh. you, you find yourself in a situation where you're singing, we shall overcome. And, uh, you know, we haven't talked about this a lot, but I go to a lot of protests. Uh-huh. I'm very active in all that stuff. And the minute that we begin singing, I check out. Because 
instead of singing, God damn it, we should have specific <laughs> actions. No, you know, like swinging. Okay, that's a strong word because what does that mean? Does that right. mean like, you know, whatever, like advocating for violence? No, in my interpretation of it, it means action. Right. As in, stop telling me the lyrics to a song because they won't get me fucking anywhere mm-hmm. and give me a telephone number I could call, a business I should right. boycott, a business I should support, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. You see what I'm saying? So to right. me, swing means actual action. And it's and that's a point in his life towards the end where he was bridging where he was yes, from before. Indeed. The extremism was falling away. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he had said multiple times that he recognizes that some of the feelings that he had were of racist intent, and he never wanted to be that himself. He saw that in others and then realized he didn't want that in his own life. So things uh, things started to change for him. So it was all about action. It's all about doing something, taking a stand for, for, for what was right. Wow. Well, Kyle, that was my surprise for you and for the listeners. Excellent. I hope you enjoyed it. Those are some of the most powerful quotes that, of course, well, not of course, but they didn't make it into the movie. I mean, there some of Malcolm's most famous quotes did, in fact, make mm-hmm. it into the movie. Um uh, we've experienced only the American nightmare. Uh, we haven't seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth, you know, yep. he he has some of the real classics in there. But man, I can I could find more. I have more, but I'm they're not. They're endless. Yeah, they're endless. Um, the power listen, of words. Yeah, go go do your research, people. It's Black History Month. Read some radical literature. Um, there's sanitized versions of everybody and everything out there. Mm-hmm. Even Martin Luther King was becoming open quote, radical, close right. quote, you know, my country is the greatest purveyor of violence on the mm-hmm. planet, blah, blah. And so don't just digest the sanitized version that they put out there for you. Do some research, watch movies like Malcolm X, and I'm going to close my comments today, Kyle, with the same way that Spike Lee closed the movie at the end credits, and that is read the book. Mm-hmm. There's a little there's a little text that scrolls at the bottom yep. of the credits from Malcolm X saying, read Alex Haley's book. Yes, I like that. Go read it. That's amazing. Watch the movie and read the book. Yep. And if uh, you would like to let us know what you think of the movie, let us know uh, what you're thinking about during this month. Um, Send us some emails, loudonthesetit at uh, gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Things that we can look forward to, things that we can watch and that we can talk about on the show. Um, But this was a great opportunity to review a fantastic movie and recognize um, a truly amazing person in a a great month of recognition in our country. So go watch Malcolm X. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you can find it nearly everywhere. (laughs) It's a great film. Um, Wonderful. Go enjoy it. See you later. And cut.